This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Good One, the podcast in which the makers of comedy talk about making comedy. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Our guests this week are Saturday Night Live's longest-running cast member, Keenan Thompson, and his longtime collaborator on the show and one-time head writer, Brian Tucker. Usually when we do this, the guest picks a bit to focus on that has ran its course. But things don't really run their course at SNL, a sort of living organism of a show that's always hungry for things that work. If something works, you can and want to do it again. Keenan's impression of LeVar Ball, the big-talking father of three basketball-playing sons, worked. This is to say, when Keenan and Brian came walking into the 30 Rock conference room where we recorded this episode, they were discussing jokes for a new LeVar Ball piece. See, it was Tuesday, writing night at SNL, and after our conversation, they'd be getting to work on an episode that's only four days away. But SNL's SNL, even if it's your first season or your 16th. Ball ended up not making the cut this week, but he'll be back if Keenan and Brian have anything to do with it. He truly never lost. With that, here is Keenan as LeVar Ball from the first time they did it in August 2017 as part of the Weekend Update Summer Special, followed by Keenan and Brian talking about all that goes into him. Thank you. Uh, this year's NBA rookie class features the Lakers' newest guard, Lonzo Ball, but the one who's been doing all the talking, especially on TV, is his father, LeVar. Here to explain that is LeVar Ball. Me? I'm doing incredible. <laughs> I got one son in the NBA and two on the way. I'm like Earl Woods, Joe Jackson, and Dina Lohan all rolled into one. <laughs> Never lost. Yeah. Well, you certainly like to promote yourself. Like this week, you said that you could beat Michael Jordan in basketball with one arm tied behind your back. you damn right. <laughs> While wearing a beekeeper suit and hamburger helper gloves. <laughs> Now, how can you say that? You played college basketball and averaged two points a game. You're not going to beat Michael Jordan. Man, don't talk to me about no Michael Jordan. You ain't seen what I can do. Look at me. I am eight feet tall. I can jump 20 feet high. I once jumped over a super target. This past Thanksgiving, I ate 100 turkeys. You didn't eat 100 turkeys. The hell I didn't. Caught every turkey myself. Chased them all down wearing my big baller brand, Zotus. Oh. Yeah, that's right. I forgot your son already has his own shoe line, and they cost $495 a pair. That's because they're quality. They're made of South African rhinoceros horn. <laughs> no. no. That's not a... A what? Horn? Rhinoceros. No. Not... They help you run faster, jump higher, and keep your willy hard as glass. <laughs> yeah, here you go, Kyle. Okay, I don't know if I want to touch yeah. these. All right, well, thank you very much. Your wonderful shoes. Thank you. That'll be $495. <laughs> I'm not paying you for the shoes. You just gave them to me. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. 
That's because they're only worthy of Lonzo anyway. Okay, well, I feel like the expectations are really high for Lonzo at this point. The Lakers are expecting him to win Rookie of the Year already. Oh, he's going to win a hell of a lot more than that. NBA MVP Finals MVP. He's going to win an ESPY, a Grammy, a Purple Heart. And he's going to get Best Truck in his class by J.D. Power and Associates. are going to win it all this year. Let me tell you how they're going to do it. Just start all my kids. Yeah. The starting five will be Lonzo, 18-year-old LiAngelo, 15-year-old LaMelo, and I got two boys who was just conceived, LaVitra and LaDiculousness. <laughs> Black Trump, everyone. Hey, somebody watch his damn shoes. And we're here with the uh, people behind that version of LeVar Ball, Keenan Thompson and Brian Tucker. Thank you for being here. <laughs> no, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Seriously. I want to start a little bit, actually at this point, almost like 10 years before this happened, to just get some context of y'all two working together. Brian, I want to start, Brian arrived at the show, so this was, I think, Keenan, your third season. I know I've heard you talk about how you're a fan of Chappelle's show. Did you know of Brian? What was your feeling of him joining? And then vice versa, Brian, did you sort of have feelings about... Keenan? Yeah, I had recently been spent the summer with like the Chappelle show because I was probably, I think I was shooting something in Vancouver or something. And like, you know, my one of my comforts was my season two DVD of the Chappelle show. And I just remember him just standing out in that. He was like super hilarious and hanging in the toilet. That was my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. And then when he came to the show, I told him immediately about that. Like, I was just watching you on the Chappelle show. I'm a big fan of that. I learned about, you know, him writing for Chris Rock and everything. And I was like, oh, so you are intrigued by black culture, are you? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, our relationship started kind of there, basically, because I was looking for a way to explain the references that I have that are pretty much, you know, the traditional black culture references in a new kind of way. And, you know, he was my bridge to that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I certainly knew about Keenan and had watched, you know, of course, Keenan and Kel in the first couple uh um, years on SNL. Um, and when I got hired, I think they knew that both Keenan and uh, back then Finesse Mitchell were, you know, people that they really liked, but they hadn't figured out a way to use them very well. Um, and so that was even in my job interview, they were like, do you think you might like to write stuff for Keenan and Finesse? <laughs> and I was like, sure. Yeah, That's absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, they put me in the same office with, uh, Finesse and JB Smooth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we were right next door to Keenan and Colin Jost who had just started. And, uh, you know, I mean, I hit it off with all those guys, but I especially hit it off with Keenan just because, uh, uh, we had a sim similar sensibility, and also uh, I, I think I understood earlier than most that uh, he was really good and wasn't being used as much as he probably could have been. And then so what were the pre-what up with that year? So what were the sort of the, that next few years before that big moment? What, do you, what were some of the things that you did? Boy, it's been a while because we've been doing stuff for 14 years. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like the timeline I feel like is starting to confuse me a little bit because Finesse was gone after season th after his three seasons. Yeah, well, I only st spent one year with Finesse. Okay, so you came in his season three. That's right. Right, and my season three as well. Yeah. And then in between that, I guess we tried a bunch of, like, one-off things, but mm -hmm. we hadn't found, like, a character thing that stuck because I ended up starting to do Scared Straights with Colin yep. like, around season five. Yeah, that was one of your big things. So I would say that was by season 
two or no oh, for for your season five it right was my season my five. second year, yeah right? it was early for yeah, you yeah. and then we were still fishing like we were doing like just traditional like you know black things like church you know sketches <laughs> yeah. or like a soul train we thing. might have done an al sharpton we started doing that's what it was we started yeah. with a lot of al sharpton stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. and because i like, love that dude still i could write it al sharpton tonight like, <laughs> god yeah. he's so much fun um but yeah, and then we started trying to figure out like what we could do that we could do twice. And mm-hmm. then once we landed on what's up with that, I think that's when we started to figure out what it takes for us to be able to do something more than once, mm-hmm. I think. And then Black Jeopardy, of course, came along, and that mm-hmm. was just like the most brilliant thing ever. And like I was wincing at it when he first pitched it to me <laughs> because, you know, Jeopardy is like holy land here, yeah. you know, because those sketches were incredible and I, I usually tend to stray away from doing the black versions of things because that's kind of been done so much. Yeah. So I was like, well, how can we be different or whatever? But then once we started talking about the possibility of like the infinite amount of joke possibilities that aren't just like typical, you know, Newport jokes or whatever, it, it started to like, you know, really convince me that we should try it for sure. Yeah, and give the whole thing kind of a theme, I guess, also yeah. helped, especially in the later ones, you know, yeah. with Drake and, of course, Tom Hanks and then um, uh, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, so. totally. So, like, the categories even being such an opportunity for jokes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there's a game underneath, but there are jokes along the way, which is nice, which is, you know, not quite the same as Celebrity Jeopardy. I mean, that's the best way to blow the room up on Wednesdays with jokes, you know yeah. what I mean? So, like, you can have the greatest character impression or the greatest voice that you want, but if the jokes land flat, it's like by page four or five, it's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. And is that a rumor that they used to, like, call it and be like, you can skip my sketch back in the day or whatever? Like, they would tap out? Like, like I think that's a rumor. Just, it is, right? Yeah, I've never seen that. But but uh, <laughs> there was talk. I remember one of our writers, Streeter Seidel, said we should institute that policy. If your sketch is bombing while it's yeah. being read out loud, like if it's not getting any laughs on page four and there's eight more pages, you should yeah. be like, okay, no, skip, move on. Yeah. I feel like it's a <laughs> win for working. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for with uh, what up with that, I feel like you at this point have talked enough, but not enough. You have all talked a bunch about like, it was like lightning in a bottle, and then afterwards sort of like everyone applauded. But now looking back at it, um, how do you think it, it it changed how you approached the show afterwards and sort of how, you know, the show almost approached you guys in that like, you know, Lauren will always talk about how like he will use people based on the audience's appetite. And I feel like that show, that sketch was like translated, oh, like this is – this is Keenan. Like, as a re- even though you've been on the show at that point yeah. for seven years, yeah. What do you think it was about it? The truth is, it uh, that helped the show come to us more than us come to the show. Uh, it gave us more leeway to write the kinds of things we wanted because uh, our voice, you know, the things in our voice were being approved of by the audience, and it gave us a lot more uh, trust. Our circle of trust opened up. And we could submit something that we thought was pretty good. Uh, and Lauren would be like, you know, okay, you know, by the time it goes to Saturday, they'll make that better. Yeah. Whereas before, it would just have to be really great, you know, right away. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like finally something that was definitely in our voice that matched up with the tone of the show, which is like things that need like layers and sophistication. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was like my first real viewing of like how many layers it takes for a sketch to stand out on a show like that you know what I mean and also be like widely accepted by a large group of people it takes several layers like 
yeah, we want to like sing, and I think it's funny that nobody gets to talk on a talk show. But then it's like turns like Lindsey Buckingham being there, and like that joke always happening, and those are the kind of things it, it takes to like you, you got to have like a turn or two or three or four. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then having our own fun inside of it, like bringing out, you know, Bobby is Jake the Snake Roberts, you know what I'm saying, and stuff like that. It was just... Yeah, that sketch in particular literally was, like, layers of, like, depth of field of, like, in the front there'll be people dancing. Yeah, totally. And then the background, there's also two more people. Like, even the announcer, like, it started with Forte as, like, some weird, almost, like, 80s MTV DJ look, you know what I mean, for some weird reason. It was just, like... Yeah, endless possibilities in that sketch, and we really, like... Uh, the the clear the benches aspect yeah. of it of like even you know <laughs> the 11th cast member yeah. can get a small part you know and come saying? in and just you know have something fun that's you know? another thing about Family Feud that we like too yeah like that's a, true a large cast piece for everybody to kind of score like I'm gonna get mine on on looking teeth alone <laughs> but you know it's, it's good for everybody to kind of score with like super obscure even you know like every time Kate tries somebody. I'm like, I never thought of doing like a Tilda Swinton or somebody. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And then she just finds awesome people to do. So yeah, that's another sketch where if somebody you know has basically an impression, but it's not enough for a whole sketch. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we can throw it in there, and it's fun for thirty seconds to right. a minute. You know, and and then everybody gets a little bit to keep on sort of marching through the timeline. So then 2013 season, the whatever the 2012 2013 season ends. So then. Fred and Bill leave. Chris and Jason. Andy left the season before. Seth is about mm. to leave. Mm-hmm. So then Brian, you're named co-head writer. And now, like, Keena, you are, like, the veteran of the show. <laughs> yeah. I know every week is the same. You have to pitch sketches like everything else. But did you feel like both your your responsibilities changed, you know, and did sort of your – what you expected from yourselves change? I mean, for me, it's kind of always been the same expectation of, like, trying to present something that's, you know – responded to well you know what i'm saying so that hasn't changed much for me it might have been different for brian because he is burdened with like actually like you're writing so you're definitely handing in like two or three pieces a week no matter what and you know if you're head writing you they should probably be on the better side that would be (laughs) advantageous but for me it's always been about wednesday and saturday you know what i'm saying so like i mean i guess for you who's now also in the meetings where sketches are chosen did it have a sense that sort of like whatever was Keenan in your keen in your slice of the world was it getting was it being pushed higher up the uh, it it already was by the time I was uh, supervising writer I guess around two thousand nine two thousand ten that's kind of when uh, you know again that circle of trust opened up yeah. by the time I was co head writer. Um, I basically went from writing a whole bunch of fun things, which mostly Keenan and I did, to uh, being in charge a lot more of the show as a whole, uh, the cold opens, the monologues, to make sure other cast members you know, were represented, to make sure the kind of pieces that needed to be written that week were being written. And so it's a bit more managerial yeah. and a bit less fun. Uh, however, you know, uh, what comes along with that is you are also part of the people who are sitting in the room with Lorne Michaels and help make those decisions, you know. And uh, there is uh, some cachet in that, and often uh, because you're in that room, your own voice on the show is is considered a little bit, you know, more uh, priority. But uh, so absolutely the going to head writer changed for me um, uh, in that way. 
So it's the summer of 2017. We're yes. now at the time in which this is about to happen. So it was, I didn't even remember this, it was during the weekend update specials or whatever they're called. It's interesting to watch that back. It's like that's Bill Hader's Scaramucci episode. And what, in general, how do you approach do in a time where this, the show was especially, I mean, still now, but especially, especially then, getting more intense than ever for political impressions? How, how does it feel? How do you how do you approach doing the non, still topical, but non-political thing of that evening? It's easy for me because, like, I only get political if I have somebody to impersonate. And I never sought out a David Clark impression, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, when they throw me those kind of guys, like, I'll just, like, take that and be like, put a two-second, like, what I hear from him or what I think of him and not put too much on it and just read it, you know what I mean, based yeah. on what they wrote. Here with an insider's look is former Milwaukee Sheriff and Trump cheerleader David Clark. Sheriff, how are you? Unpopular among my own people. <laughs> but when it's, like, organic and it's somebody I really want to do and I have to, like, sell it, you know what I mean? That's, you know, a lot more of a milestone. But there's not so many people, and I don't necessarily have, like, an Andrew Gillum yet. Yeah. Or, it, you know, he kind of speaks kind of normalish, too, so. Yeah, but if he wins tonight, you know what I'm saying? Have I might have, have, have to Andrew start, Gillum. like, digging it. You know what, <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? I might have to start figuring out a take on that dude. Yeah. But I just hadn't. Get Leslie to do a Stacey For a while, there was just, like, nobody to do except for, to do except for like, Ben Carson or whatever. Yeah. So it was actually more of a pleasure for me because I could just still write towards the silly as opposed to like trying to like watch CNN or you know Fox News all day long and pick and pull from that stuff and try to make something. Yeah I mean I think this was never explicitly stated but it's been implicitly stated that our topical comedy uh, we have to find our niche and often our niche is not to go right at it. There's so many shows that already do that, you know, uh, that that talk exactly about, you know, what's going on. And even our weekend update does go right at it. So we do have a piece of that. So what we found uh, works better is doing what we do, which is maybe uh, what we call uh, current events adjacent. You know, yep. it, it might not be about exactly you know what trump did this year but you know like the cold open we did this week it's fox news's take with a lot of fun different characters that we bring on you know uh because that's something that we can do that colbert seth myers john oliver samantha b you know hassan minaj cannot do yeah yeah uh summer 2017 it's august uh why lavar ball why then how did how did how what was the initial spark? Let's let's have this happen. I mean, he it was, always usually happens because they happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people that pop and like the audience is with it from point A, and I don't have to like sell them on the impression. It's because they're usually in the news or something like they're current. Yeah, but he was all you, over was that like, yeah. summer, and yeah, I saw yeah. him on TV, and I remember texting you. I was like, "We got to do this." Yeah, I was like, "Absolutely, a thousand percent." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Tell me more about him," because yeah. I think I was halfway paying attention, but I, I was watching right. his son more because he was about to go to the league, and like, was he qualified to do so? Like, I knew his dad was barking, but I was like, yeah. you know, is he barking truth? And I wasn't paying as much attention. Then I started like paying attention to him once I started seeing him on like, you know those off ESPN shows where he actually got to talk and yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what was it that you're like, Oh, this is Keenan. The blustery arrogance, you know, uh, the energy, yeah. the, you know, uh, he, the, the time that he 
talked about how one-on-one that he had never lost and he said never lost mm-hmm. and i was like oh that you know yeah. that that's kind of keenan can do that well yeah all day long <laughs> i think what he i was thinking he has what i think a lot of your characters like he's no self-consciousness whatever yeah yeah he's sort right. of like yeah. there's no part of him where he thinks this is not what is how people talk <laughs> totally about him, right? that, that makes for a great update <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, he's the head locomotive is out of his mind. Yeah, and we'll also kind of undercut himself as he says it. You know, like we'll talk about the big baller lifestyle that mm-hmm. his people are living, but you mm-hmm. know, uh, stay in a hotel with yeah. free breakfast. Yeah, cereals. absolutely. You know, <laughs> three hundred and ten rainy mornings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is the first step for for you guys to uh, tackle an impression? Like, are you? What are you figuring out together? Are you just talking about the character in general? You know, what are the what is the first first step? For that, it was, you know, we had texted over the summer, I remember. And then, like, I just wrote down a couple of jokes and lines. And then we just sat down and, uh, you know, Keenan gave his, uh, his kind of take on it. And then we just sit down and we just have fun and throw out stuff for about an hour, maybe 90 minutes. Yeah. And then, you, you like, Brian, you know like the chemistry is he formulates it but that's all that like creative writing background that I don't have you know what I'm saying like that I I thoroughly have enjoyed learning from him over the years is like how do you get into the fun place we want to go yeah like that's the most important thing that there is like if the setup's not clear they're, they're gonna miss the joke yeah, yeah you know what I mean and we've learned that lesson painfully you know, over the course of several different sketch ideas, like just missing the whole setup or whatever. Yeah, and still do. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, we're not, you know, above it. Definitely yeah. not bulletproof. But at the same time, once we do get everybody on board and take them to a great place, it's it's so much fun along the way because it's like you guys see what we're seeing. I don't know why I know this quote, but the guitar player from Fish, the band Fish, mm-hmm. says, like, to learn how to play guitar, you should, like, learn all the scales and then forget them. Yeah. And I feel like your impressions are, you like, you learned how to do the voice and then you forgot who this person was. And now, yeah. the, now the, it's, it's, it's like you've created a character based on this person. Yeah. A thousand percent. I mean, it's only half of it when you do the voice, you know what I mean? Like, as far as, like, getting to page eight on an idea, you know what I'm saying? So... Yeah, I think you have to figure out what your take is on it. Like, there are people who do impressions and are great at impressions, but often the best uh, SNL impressions kind of go up to that level of character. You know, Dana Carvey was like the best at that, but Keenan always brings his own thing to it. You know, I think I remember a couple things that you brought to LeVar Ball that that maybe LeVar Ball doesn't do is (laughs) like you would say, instead of saying articulate, you would be like, now I want to take to, he to, to be articulate. No, yeah, yeah, he does not mispronounce <laughs> right. words, but that makes it fun for me. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You, you bring some Keenan flavor to it, or uh, or you know, in the first one, you were you were like, uh, man, don't tell me about no, like, uh, <laughs> the high voice. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, that's an exaggerated version of what he does when he. I told you he like pinches up and he's like, when? What do I do these? Like, right. Okay, how can I notch that up like? by 10 and get to like Bobby's character. <laughs> right. In general, the, the, was the weekend where the weekend update specials like much more chill to write. Yes. They're much more straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're just going after like jokes as opposed to like setting a whole thing. And then like, does this false reality live in reality type of battle back yeah. and forth? You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's yeah. a lot tougher to do sketches just because like, update you're in a desk and like you're going straight at the camera basically with just a whole bunch of like funny rhetoric and 
That's yeah. more of like a checklist. Like, does this joke work? Does that joke work? As opposed to like, how can I make this make sense and get everybody on board and get laughs by page three? And it helps that someone, the setup is done by the weekend update anchor being like, basketball's in the air or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. I can just start firing. Yeah, the yeah, first thing in. I say is like, I'm firing. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, that was one of uh, what I thought the great thing that Chappelle show did that actually Chris Rock did a little bit too is what they they figure out the brilliant way of kind of forgetting the setup where you yeah. don't have to start from a place where you don't know what's going on right they would say you know Chappelle would say you know uh, y'all know there's beer commercials where you <laughs> yeah. know there happens to be no black people you know and then <laughs> take a look at this <laughs> right? and then it would go right in and you wouldn't have to like uh, on SNL unfortunately we don't have, have that we have to like start from zero and especially kind of with pull a live the audience, audience in. they have to be yeah. like what is it you should do like in commercial breaks be like this next thing's gonna right. be parody <laughs> do weekend update characters they're do you usually write them on Tuesday or you end up writing them like are they read at table reads in the same way like they're usually done like when it's the first time doing thing we have to sell it yeah. so it's usually on wednesday but some some things do pop up you know in the middle of the night and yeah. if it's a big enough story it, yeah we have a chance to like figure out a take on it like <laughs> bishop michael curry yeah. yeah i think what is i think really impressive or what really works about the sketch is it immediately starts where every time he asks the person how they are but interrupts them to say how good he's doing uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. was that something you were like how would he say hello to people he would not listen to them it's, I feel like it's just in the whole blender of him believing blindly completely whatever he says you know what I'm saying and it's just more of that like to the point where he probably doesn't wait for people to finish because he already knows what he's going to say mm-hmm. you know what I mean and like just blindly going with like gut instinct to the point where he doesn't have to react to life he just yeah, dictates yeah. life. It's also one of those tone setters that tells the audience what character this is. You know, right. it's not really a joke. It's but it's but it's just attitude of like, how you doing? Me, I'm incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know what the ball shoes look like. So he brings out a shoe. Is that one of the real ones, or do you fabricate? <laughs> well, definitely we the fabricated. First time, <laughs> was it? Did the first one the have first a chicken one was leg real. in it? No, that's yeah. the second one. Okay. <laughs> I thought the first shoe first they got was, was real. real, and then okay. every shoe that was because he never did a sandal, so it right, right. was kind of made up. I think past that point. So that one was real, and then the the joke was that that was made of right. What was it now? Rhinoceros? Oh. Rhinoceros? <laughs> Rhinoceros horn. Rhinoceros. Yeah. What do you like horn. about a... You, a, you, a lot of your impressions have mispronunciations. That's yeah. true. Shot, that's, that's, especially. A, that's a thing I got from James, though. He yeah, loves right. writing like mispronunciations. James Anderson, writer. And then Sharp, you writer can't avoid it because he really does it. Well, Colin, as I say on my network, Miss NBC... Uh, <laughs> I think that's NBC for ladies or something. <laughs> Steve <Yeah>. Harvey too. <laughs> that's so true. That's uh, Sharpton and Steve and his Harvey. And cadence sometimes. Like Sharpton is just like, he's such a character because his cadence will throw off. There was one sign off that we did that was so staccato that I was like, how could this possibly, we did it pretty much verbatim. Right, what was but it? It was like, and got to make sure you get it tomorrow. And he was <laughs> right. like, for some reason, just like, shutting down and short-circuiting yeah. for some and that's what they aired you know what I mean they went yeah. with that so of uh, course we mimic that because it happened yeah the, the very Man. first time we did Steve Harvey 
was Steve Harvey hosting, uh, <laughs> guest hosting Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is still one of my favorite Steve Harvey For sure. things. And it started because you came into my office and said, look at this. And it was Steve Harvey reading off, uh, um, you know, some of the answers. And it was, you know, uh, what yeah. novel by F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, in 1936 set the world on fire? Was it A, The Great Gassy? Uh, <laughs> And we just were really enjoying the great gassy. <laughs> the and we great just, gassy. And we just took it from there and made a whole sketch around that he didn't really, you know, was reading and didn't really know oh what he was talking gosh. about. This spice, popular on Italian dishes, is from the mint family. Is it A, origami? B, Brazil? C, horseradishes? Or D, paprikas? <laughs> I love paparicans. <laughs> My makeup lady is half paparican. You know, I was in Paparico last month. <laughs> and I think it's also like, if that is part of like what people like maybe associate with Keenan Impressions, they're like, all right, well, like, they'll have a mispronounced thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say. Just to have some fun in there. Yeah. yeah. As much as Keenan likes the mispronunciation, they really were a part of Sharpton and Steve Harvey. Yeah. Yes, for yeah. sure. Those LeVar, two. maybe not. Yeah. So that one has run faster, jump higher, make her willy hard as glass. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I wouldn't say the dirtiest type of joke. It's dirtier than most, especially that early in the show. How are, is Keenan, or how are you able to pull it off? Or maybe a what is it about sort of his how he presents a character that can have an erection yeah. joke? <laughs> yeah, just seem like oh yeah, just like a nice. I mean, he seems crazy but harmless like you know i'm a harmless face you know, yeah. you know i smile a lot so if i'm delivering it with a smile i can usually get away with a lot <laughs> but yeah it's just going down a crazy man spouting crazy things road basically and yeah. everybody's like you know we don't have to take this seriously because this would never happen in real life but it might you know you <laughs> never know that's the beauty of that character that dude is like a real person and he could <laughs> say some crazy yeah. shit like that yeah, that's that's one thing that Keenan has that's a real asset, which is there's a just a good naturedness underneath him that even when he's saying something that's dirty or sometimes harsh, that you still like him and know that there's no yeah. like m- malice underneath it. Willie is like a character created specifically uh, for that. Michael Chase's yes, totally. most favorite darkest place to go is with <laughs> Willie. <laughs> he loves it. You know, it's like my ancestors used to always say back in the village, you had us at free boat trip. Whoa, Willie. <laughs> And then it ends with Joe's calling him Black Trump. Oh, right. I don't know. It's it's interesting because, like, I guess he's a liar. But it felt like that was much more a comment upon this guy than, like, the rest of the sketch. I guess there's at the this one in particular, I guess, starts with him like a mix of Earl Woods, uh, Dina Lohan, and um, Joe Jackson. So, like, mm-hmm. there was a bit of, like, this guy's not a good dad. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Did it start with maybe a p- feeling that, like, this isn't how a dad should be acting? I mean, it's just a suppressive feeling that you get from listening to him, right? You feel like he's smothering his son's spotlight, you know what I'm saying? And blah, like maybe in the beginning he helped talk his son into the league, but like now it's time for his son to like show him. And he's, he can play. It's not like he can't play. So I don't know if he necessarily needs that loud of a cheerleader. And it seems like he's stealing more of the attention for himself. And it's just a lot of that. And. I think Black Trump was an observation we had talked about, but the rest of Update was, you know, a whole lot of Trump jokes. And we were like, let's not make this also yeah. that. Uh, but it was kind of an observation yeah. that now we've handled off, handed off to Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Black Trump now. Um, how did you feel afterwards? Did you get feedback from Lorne? Did you think you'd do it again? 
I mean, I felt great about it. I, yeah. you know, it's, I don't think we like attacked him. No, personally. no, I, I just meant the just, do, just doing it in general, not the comment on it. Just yeah, like I felt like everybody pretty on. much enjoyed what it was, especially for you know the summer audience who might not have been like NBA fans. Like you know, yeah. Tucker and I are like sports fans, so yeah. like of course we loved it. You know what I mean? But like doing it for like you know a lady who's like looking at her phone the whole time and she's still laughing. It's like oh, interesting. Not to just point out ladies you know what I mean but like I noticed there was a lady in front of me that was like you know in her phone and like she should have been paying attention and she still was laughing and paying attention so it was penetrating in one way or the other yeah all the best SNL sports stuff appeals to people who even don't really know the sport you know you don't have to be a fan of the NBA to kind of enjoy the LeVar Ball character right and you know we used to write uh, Barkley and Shaq uh, and Mm -hmm. that also was just kind of a fun almost comedic duo who you didn't have to know yeah we weren't Um, talking about like triangle defense (laughs) right right exactly (laughs) you bring it back the first time a few months later in November what was you know what's your general feeling about bringing things back that led you to be like yeah of course basketball's in the air? In the one and two range, it's like, yeah, if we did it once good, it should come back twice and make sure the second one goes well. But then when it starts to be like, okay, are we going to do it a third time? It's like, well, that needs to be like really strong because if it's not, then we're like taking a hit off of like reputation more so as opposed to like just taking a loss. You know what yeah. I mean? It's more of like maybe you guys should know when you've run your course with things or whatever. But he's kind of the gift that keeps on doing. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? You kind of know too when that character slides out there, and the, you kind of you get a feeling that the audience is glad to see that character yeah. or not. Yeah. My offspring is going to rule the world. Just look at me. I am a giant turret, full head of hair, twelve fingers. I can pull a tractor trailer twenty miles over a mountain using only my junk. <laughs> And I'm the only man on earth who's ever eaten just one Lay's potato chip. <laughs> it ramped him up. Like, it was like, at this point, the reference point was the first version of it, not like the original guy. But it wasn't like a photocopy of a photocopy. You're just like, oh, right. sort of, there's no bounds to this yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's, like, it's a good stencil like, to, to spray paint with. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we can come out with a similar picture and, you know, it'll be still like a good masterpiece of art that like can stand next to the original. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like we have to completely switch it up to get strong reactions. We can still live in the same wheelhouse and it still feels fresh because, you know, the insane train keeps it running. That's baby. right. <laughs> and another good thing about repeating it is like you can lean more into the, the silly character part of it because the audience knows you don't have to have it as much of an accurate yeah. impression. Right. I mean, if you look at like very early Dana Carvey, George H.W. Bush. He's, you know, he's very precise with it. And then by like, you know, four years later, he's just that noisy. He's like, not gonna, bang, 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 you know? And it's it's almost like Dana Carvey doing an impression of Dana yeah, yeah. Carvey. Is literally writing, like, do you have the script of the first one? You're like, okay, well, these are the beats. What are the new version of it? Like, Weekend Update, especially because it follows often the same rhythm. Are How closely are you looking at the first one's to like have it match that rhythm or is it just sort of like all right well these are the four types of sort of jokes they have and we'll have it and we'll figure out how to again it's a between one and two thing like when you're doing it the second time it's like all right well let's try to remember what we but by the third time you know what the character is so you can you know what beats and like feelings you want to write for and you're usually trying to get like i don't know like i feel like it's like five or six good rundowns in an update piece like makes it strong and then you'll probably end up cutting 
one and a half of them. Yeah. And wind up with yeah. just like four awesome like runs or whatever. What we mostly do is look at the news and what's been in the news and try to use that as a setup, you yeah. know. Uh, although, you know, we really like the sneaker and bringing out the sneaker, so let's mm-hmm. do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, we figure out the little parts that we like and say, let's maybe try something like that. And then the third one, uh, LeVar comes back from Lithuania, and this one oh, is yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Because that whole story is just like, what are you talking about? They went to Lithuania and like, yeah. he took all of his sons out of here and went over there and into what's the name of the town? And like, what is Lithuania exactly? <laughs> yeah. Seems like a cold place. And like all those things, we just like went down the list of all that. Yeah. And had to have him very confidently say things like soft teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody waving wooden spoons yeah. in the air. You yeah. know, like the beautiful town of Vilnius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, that was fun, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, a, a nice different way than yeah. just kind of talking about the NBA. Yeah, because there wasn't a shoe. There was that he makes beat. He has his own brand of beats that he... <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so they're headphones. No, no. they just beats <laughs> from the ground. <laughs> With the roots still on. <laughs> they so baller, they make your dookie redder than Santa Claus. <laughs> So then you do it on uh, and what's the show? inside the NBA? Inside the NBA. Yeah, that was fun. And I will say, there's a joke in there that I love so much, which is and unlike you, Charles, mm. I got an NBA championship ring. You don't got no ring. Oh yes, I do. Thanks to eBay and a down on his luck, Antoine Walker. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's a sports fan joke. That's, yeah. that's Tucker all day. What I what I loved about that joke was seeing those three guys who had never heard this before. They did not rehearse it. Keenan just came out and they held up cue cards. They didn't want to rehearse it. But to see those guys just organically really laugh at that and yeah. have Keenan just crack them up was really yeah. satisfying. And that's, and that's a joke because it's an NBA show. You can be like a little bit more on the Yes, sport. that's true. Totally I think we were more... Sports focus. That was definitely that a, a concentrated sports joke for yeah. sure. Like, you got to know who Antoine Walker was. You got to know that he blew our $100 million or whatever <laughs> oh, yeah. it was. You know what I mean? And like, famously, he blew that or whatever. So, the fourth one, which you did last April, it almost turns into like a Stefan where, uh-huh. he's, where he just sort of like lists the characters in his world now. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we got some hot prospects. We got a kid who can drain buckets like you wouldn't believe. He's athletic. He's quick, and he's 51 years old, and he's my cousin. (laughs) We also got a mailman wearing compression socks, Mm -hmm. a Dominican dishwasher in blue jeans, (laughs) and just to keep things interesting, an unclaimed Rockwaller running around all willy-nilly. Is it sort of as like, well, now you have this guy, and you're like, what is his life like? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, kind of the whole game with him was, you know, with Lithuania, was him being very boastful about some pretty shitty things. <laughs> and so we knew his league was going to be a little uh, uh, low rent. And that was a late discovery in doing the character, too. So I think the one after that was like, okay, well, now we have this fun new thing that we've been mm-hmm. doing where we can list a bunch of, like, shitty things that he can be proud of. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that was just like another take of that, I think. Yeah, because the first step was just sort of he is boasting about like fine things and then you're yeah. like, oh, he's lying and also right. treating huge lies <laughs> as same thing as bad things that he shouldn't be proud right, of. Right, right. <laughs> totally. What is the feeling of the character now? Like usually I feel like when I talk to people about SNL things, it's sort of like, oh, it ran its course. We've done it nine times. Mm-hmm. What is it right now? Uh, how are you feeling? What else do you feel like there's a story to tell? We've been talking about it's right. It's so kismet that we're doing this interview about this right now. But 
over the weekend, um, we both were talking about because he was back in the news saying something, so we were both on it. Like, I, we have. I think we need to like talk about this. And Tucker was already saying like, I have a take on him. You know, going down this whatever subject road, and I was like, "Yeah, totally, me too." Like, I think it should be this, and we like immediately start going back and forth. So we probably got like five pages. Right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about it. I mean, we we don't think the character has quite run its course yet. Uh, he's been less in the news now, but if we still have a lot of fun writing it, yeah. then normally that's a good sign. Have you met Lavar? Have you heard about the impression? I have not. Mm-mm. I think he's heard of it and like didn't necessarily diss it. That's yeah. as far as I heard. I think he's yeah. a guy who thinks any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, exactly. So he's glad to have it out there. I think it's ultimately like he's the character you can use to talk about basketball and so much. Even like Big Poppy came back, even though he's not been playing baseball. That's what right. I'm saying. I'm yeah. like, I don't know if characters necessarily ever need to go away. You know what I mean? If they're real people, that yeah. is. So if people pop back up in the news, it's like, well, then we need to put them on update, especially if it's, you know, something down the road of like mm-hmm. the usual of what you're making fun of them for in the first place. You know what I'm saying? It's like them being themselves and saying something outside the normal of, you know, the traditional ABC person that's out there. You know what I mean? That's why we have all these characters that are able to be impersonated like that, you know? So if they pop back up, it's like, yeah, like have a, you know, have another go at it. And like, I was happy that Ortiz was like received like that. I could have sworn people might've been tired of it because it is one of the, you know, characters I've done probably the most. It's like up to like seven or eight now or something like that. So, but at the same time, if it's topical, it just it fits and it's, it works and people are on board it, with it. Yeah, I mean, that one is it is an incredibly simple yeah. thing. Like so simple to the point same. where I don't have to change my look. Like, yeah. the look, he's changed his hair 50 times uh-huh. and, like, I've never changed mine. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's always my hair and, like, we come out with some sort of, like, beard that we've settled on. <laughs> and that's that. And it, it just works. I gotta say, I think that super chunky Cheesy Bites is kind of a tough name to set. Oh, well, in Dominican Republic, it's a much simpler name. Oh, yeah? It's a call. Big poppy, everybody! And this character, I mean, all your characters have, there's the amount of fun that these characters are having and you are having doing these characters that I think is, why is it so important for you and also why do you think it's so important for the show to have those moments? I mean, it's important for me because it doesn't make it seem like it's such a burden you know what i mean it doesn't seem like such a real job when it already is obviously one of the more stressful environments there is but i just have i appreciate everybody's talent so much including like the writers that it is like my pleasure to deliver this material because i can't wait for you guys to hear it and then when it lands it's like yes like you guys are fucking feeling it the way we were feeling it on tuesday if there's something fun underneath it then it's you know there's a it's a good sign no matter no matter what i mean there's obviously a lot of room in the show for uh, hard points yeah. and satire and stuff, but uh, but luckily this is a show with a lot of different voices. He's a big character. You like playing big characters. I think it is very hard to pull off. I think even starting from What Up With That, I think it was a matter of sort of you figuring out and the show figuring out how to do that. What do you think it is or how do you try to approach bigness that it makes it so it doesn't like come off as sort of over the top? A lot of trial and error, I feel like, because I've been told by Lauren even like pull it back (laughs) make sure you got somewhere to go it's a long road to page 10 and like I feel you like every time I think I have a great idea that I want to start high energy on just because I'm excited and I think that 
that's an exciting way to start things or whatever, he's always like, you know, it's a lot more exciting to you than it is to like, the people <laughs> hearing it. And I'm like, yeah, I feel you. It's, it's much more of, uh, you know, an enjoyable thing when people can kind of increase the entire way as opposed to like starting high and then going low and then going back high and all that. It's it's uh, learning. Essentially, it's like learning how to play this audience, mm-hmm. right? It's like you yeah. hear we can update characters, even if like there's funnier jokes at the beginning. It, oh, it's building a laugh to a thing where it you can do anything at the end. I mean, it's also like the feeling of like Jonah and the whale. You know what I mean? It's like you feel like such a small dot inside this giant room of like the studio is small, but it's the giant reputation that you're yeah. kind of trying to make a voice into. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Trying to make a splash in. So that's kind of like me coming almost from a fearful place and trying to just be like, don't look at me sweating. Just like listen to this craziness as opposed to like believing in the setup. And yeah. like once I started learning how to believe in the setup and like watch it unfold, it's it's more of a beautiful kind of, you know, Zen type of experience. And, you know, like it's almost like carving the bonsai tree and then like <laughs> watch its final outcome. Yeah. And I do think one of your huge assets is you know you have so much experience and the audience sees you and always knows they're comfortable you know they're comfortable with you right away they're like oh he's a professional he knows what he's doing like new cast members sometimes not always but sometimes you can kind of see the fear in their eyes you know and you're like "Uh oh what is this going to be okay whereas you know a keenan a kate mccannon or whatever even if the material is you know not the best you know you're in good hands and you kind of sit back and you relax and you're like oh this is going to be fun yeah every time i read a harsh like review it's usually like but I'll still take it any day because just because I like Keenan or whatever. And I was like, uh-huh. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I appreciate that. But taking the whole like being afraid of the audience, you know, element out of it is a huge part of it. Yeah. And there's different ways to do that. Like I said, I used to do it just in high energy or in voice in the beginning, and then I had to learn how to mature through the you know leading the audience down a road you know that they don't necessarily want to go down but like they're going because i'm it's my segment now you know what i'm saying so yeah we'll be back with more Kenan thompson and brian tucker after this word from our sponsor nice let's get that money hi me again but my voice is a little lower this time because i'm recording an ad this ad is for vulture festival la coming to the hollywood roosevelt november 17th and 18th you know vulture festival man it is the best 48 hours of pop culture events and panels and weird things the writers here came up with. And you know we got comedy. For fans of this podcast, we'll have a live episode of, uh, you know, this podcast. On Sunday, I'll be sitting down with Lil Rel, who most people know from Get Out, but is also an insanely funny stand-up in his own right. I am super, super excited. But that's not even close to it. We also have Takes Breath, a table read of Big Mouth in which Nick Kroll will voice all the parts— Casey Wilson and Adam Pally literally doing whatever they want, Fred Armisen moderating the world premiere of The Other Two, the new sitcom from beloved SNL writers Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, and that's just Saturday. Sunday we have Bo Burnham, Jim Carrey, Rachel Bloom, a Good Place panel, the LA premiere of the John Mulaney penned documentary now parody of the iconic documentary about the making of the cast recording of Company, and something Thomas Milledge is calling the Extreme Gaming Championship. For listeners of the podcast, we're offering a discount of 20% off if you use the code GOOD120. That's G-O-O-D-O-N-E, the number two, the number zero. Is zero a number, technically? Digit? That's G-O-O-D, 
O-N-E, the number two, the number zero. So that's good one 20 or goo done two zero. Vulture Festival LA, Hollywood Roosevelt, November 17th, November 18th, good one 20. Now back to me. We are back with Brian and Keenan. I was hoping to, to kind of, sh- as a way of sort of seeing how you approach a lot of different impressions, I was hoping to maybe run through a few of the ones you've done. And similar to how we've talked to LeVar extensively, if you can give like a one or two sentence uh, description of like what is your approach to them, mm-hmm. uh, you could pass. Uh, some might be ones you do with Brian, some might not. So first is Charles Barkley. Another voice, you know, and big, joyous yeah, this is like another recognizable voice. So when you get it right, people know who you're doing immediately. And then a guy who's just had fun all of his life, you know. So everything he does, even if he's like crashing into like a prostitute, you know what I mean, and sending people to the hospital, is still a way to do it where he can deliver all that information and have it laughed at. Yeah, if Sean Penn crashed into a prostitute and got arrested, yeah. he wouldn't. Right. It wouldn't be nearly as fun as right. when Charles Barkley does. <laughs> oh, man, Shaq's brain has gotten smaller because it needs to make more room for food. He's up to here with potatoes. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Joe, all my, I guess a lot of my characters are going to go down the joy road. Yeah, totally. He seems like he just gets such a kick out of science to me, which I find to be slightly humorous and... I don't know how he grew up without a scratch on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, he's just one of those guys. And I, I, when I first met him at, like, Comic-Con in San Diego, like, and I heard how he, like, talks for real, he speaks like, you know, not to call him a nerd, but he's very nerdy when he talks. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh, my God. On top of everything, he's a nerd that's going to make space and time travel cool. He's just awesome. What's happening on Monday is a a once-in-a-lifetime solar event. Imagine, if you will, two minutes of total darkness at 2.30 in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. (laughs) You haven't done it in a while, but Whoopi Goldberg? I love Whoopi. I've known her for a long time, and she's she's one of those people that you kind of just have to do, you know? Yeah. Because they're doing The View, which is like a good opportunity for cast members to get into a sketch with and, you know, it's just, you know, who who's out there that you can impersonate and make a character out of to try to get on the show. She's one of those people. Stop trying to solve a historical mystery, Seth. You not Dan Brown. You didn't write the Da Vinci Code. Look, we weren't there. We don't know who did number one or number who on what back in the day. Bill Cosby now. Bill Cosby now, it's like what it, what we know about him now, you know what I'm saying? So like that's how we get into that. Like I take the old what works and, you know, I put in a new engine because of, you know, the new information we have basically, which is tough because I feel like it's burdensome now. Yeah. So like I'm intrigued by like when like Kyle and Beck have to play people that they strongly disagree with and Kate too a lot of the time. It's like does that like how burdensome does that feel to have to portray these people? They're like they're usually like it is a little bit, but it's such a relief to get it right and you know like show the absurdity of some of those people. So that's kind of like the relief of it, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I like that you played him. Uh, still, there was that kind of fun underneath it because he just decided in his mind that he wasn't guilty of any of these things, and, and that's how he's been behaving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
but that yeah. also kind of if if he was kind of creepy or whatever, I think the audience would feel that. And it, well, it's we've nice also you, just, you know from doing the show so long, you know where the audience is like cringe and start to check out, and it's usually down the creepy road or like mm-hmm. insult road or you know that kind of thing, like malice. Any towards you know malice is not as fun as yeah, even if people joy knocking people down a notch. <laughs> When I was fighting incarceration, I had no idea that one of the staple foods of the prison system is the jello. <laughs> and then uh, Steve Harvey. Another one that I've known for a long time and have just watched, basically, and very familiar with him, the entertainer, and him, the person, you know? And, like, I watch his interviews and, like, how he, the person, is. And that's where I take it from, like, because I was we mix in probably him, the person more than anybody mm-hmm. that I've done. Cause like when I do Whoopi, it's not who Whoopi is. It's just some weird take that I have that I think I can get a laugh from a look and a weird, you know, it's not even her voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, LeVar is just down the crazy road of spouting rhetoric. So with, um, so with Steve, since I do know him so well and a lot of people that necessarily don't up until the point where he had his talk show, I was able to put a lot of like matured version of a character. It seemed like a lot more worked out impersonation yeah. to people. And they like, that's when they're like, man, you got him down cold. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of know him, but I also kind of know like what pushes his buttons, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. Welcome to Celebrity Family Feud. This is one of about four different daytime shows that I host. Every one of them is playing right now on that little TV that you can watch while you're pumping your gas. <laughs> and I will say that character, I would say more than any character that we've done, has kind of evolved. Where when we started, he was just mm-hmm. kind of a dummy <laughs> who, who wore crazy suits. Yeah. And now in the family feuds, in a lot of ways, he's like the smartest guy in the room. And yeah. he's kind of making it's kind cracks of amazing. about everybody. Yeah, he's you know. like maestro and real strong between like the craziness that's happening around him as yeah. opposed to like we tried to deliver the crazy through him in yeah. the beginning. It's interesting. What I what I like following the Steve Harvey impression is his arc has, like, followed your arc in general on the show <laughs> in so much as, like, first he was sort of, like, a he was a bit part in things, yeah. and then, like, oh, here's this one joke, and then you can, like, oh, he's the center of the thing, and then now he's this facilitator. He's, like, right. mm-hmm. um, as sort of Keenan has a you have evolved to like taking on what was like a Phil Hartman or what Bill ha- Bill Hader did or like Dan Aykroyd of like you are this glue of this show. You play game show host where I feel like Steve Harvey was like an entry point and Black Jeopardy was an entry point to you just playing game show host. Totally. What does it mean for you to have that role and sort of Brian as a sort of observer? What do you think it means for the show for Keenan to be the person that has that role? I mean, for me, it's always incredibly flattering. You know what I'm saying? Like. To become a good piece of, you know, a 44-year machine, it's like, man, that's what we all strive for in the audition is trying to get the show. And then to do it well, it's like so very blessed beyond using just that word or lucky, you know what I mean, and shit like that. It's just like on another level because I've seen it go left and right for so many different people. Like I've seen people that have, you know, are on another level beyond me, of course, you know what I mean? And then there's people that have had it go, you know, in a tragic direction at the same time. So to be on a good side of it, it's it, it's a great feeling, of course. But at the same time, I feel a large sense of responsibility. You know what I mean? Like I don't just take it lightly. That's why 
when people tell me that, like, every time I see you on TV, like, it makes me comforted because I know I'm about to have fun. Like, I cherish that shit. You know what I mean? I take it seriously because otherwise I'd be wasting my time. I'd be pissed. <laughs> yeah, it's been really, you know, gratifying, you know, as well for me because I, I think for, you know, many years, Keenan kind of struggled to get out of that uh, basically Nickelodeon label. And then finally, people know him as SNL. And now people know him as kind of a, you know, a, a senior person on SNL. And I think it's because he's always just steady, always good. You know, you know, uh, you're going to get a certain level of quality from him in every performance that he gives. And that's tough to do. You know, uh, I mean, I said it in my piece that I wrote on Slate, but there's the chair that they put right next to the host, you know, of the cast member, because you know, that cast member, that cast member kind of sets the tone for everybody else. And he's got, he's got that chair and had it for a few years because, you know, he's always going to, uh, have fun with it and bring a certain amount of professionalism to it. I want to bring up Black Jeopardy again in sort of this context, which, uh, you know, we recently had that oral history. So, you know, it's which I recommend anyone readings on Vulture. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, but beyond sort of what makes a sketch so so special and so great and then how you keep on adapting it, which is like one of the great things that I think can be do on SNL, both from being here for so long. What does it mean for a sketch like that to succeed at SNL, both in sort of as the culture mass and also sort of the culture at SNL? It's everything, especially when, like I said, you're you're spinning off of something previously that was, you know, so coveted and beloved. So for it to go, I was so like so happy on Wednesday because I knew Saturday was going to be fine. Like once Wednesday went over well and people like actually heard it out loud and like heard how great it possibly can be. And nobody was standing on the side of like, well, you know, they're going down, you know, a road that's been already carved out or whatever. I was just like, that's what's up. So, you know, anything past that was always, like, icing on the cake. The fact that we could do it twice or the fact that, you know, it went well the second time and then stepped up with Tom Hanks and then stepped up even with Chadwick, you know what I mean, Bozeman. It was just like, yeah, I'll take all that to the bank because I knew it was great the first time we did it. That sketch, I've said this in other contexts, but, you know, I've been writing sketch comedy since 99 for Chris Rock, and uh, that sketch is easily at the top of my resume and the thing that I feel most proud of, uh, just because it, uh, especially the Tom Hanks one, uh, appealed so broadly to so many people and kind of, uh, made people laugh while also making them feel in- included, yeah. um, which is really hard to pull off. And we've been trying to do it, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, every now and then ever since and still can't quite, you know, do it. And that was, uh, you know, a whole lot of great things coming together, you know, mm-hmm. a great, uh, host and Tom Hanks, a great, you know, person to keeping together and Keenan, you know, Michael Che and I, you know, were frankly at the top of our game in writing it and, you know, all those things. And then the time that yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of stars aligning to have that one moment. Uh, and so very, feel very gratified and lucky that it happened. Che has talked about how SNL, because it's an institution and sort of a symbol of mainstream culture, you know, sort of inherently it's complicated how it could comment on race because it is part of, like, the mass. Mm-hmm. How do you think black – why or how do you think black Jeopardy was able to transcend that? We always try to transcend that whenever we do, you know, something that's down what would seem like a typical black culture type of a road, you know yeah. what I mean? So we always try to figure out a way. Like, we know a large portion of the audience is not going to be familiar with that necessarily. We're going to have to explain who Bootsy Collins is probably, right. or, you know, Nipsey <laughs> Russell, like, you know, yeah, things Cocoa like Butter that. Or <laughs> yeah. All those yeah. kind of different things that we have to like figure out a way to like explain. 
So we're always looking for a rapping that does that, and that's what that game show is. It's a rapping that like gets you into that world where you're like ready to hear about like states off fro or things like that. You just know you're supposed to laugh at that because it sounds like it's in yeah. the world it's supposed to be in. And like uh, you know, uh, there is that kind of uh, you know typical black jokes that are in Black Jeopardy, but we try to. With the third guest, the Chadwick Boseman, the Drake, the um, uh, oh, Elizabeth Banks, Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. we try to give it a different take, you know, on on you know basically a type of blackness, and with Tom Hanks and with Elizabeth Banks, a, a type of whiteness, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that contrasts with this, uh, and so that's that's kind of the key to it. Keely, it's your pick. <laughs> Let's go to you better for six. Okay, and the answer. The mechanic says you owe $250 for new brake lines. Doug. Well, what is, you better go to that dude in my neighborhood who'll fix anything for $40. Well, you know Cecil. Yeah, but my Cecil's name is Jim, and it fixed my refrigerator, my air conditioner, and my cat. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got a guy. Well, you all right, Doug. <laughs> in interviews, Keenan, you've, you've talked about how, I mean, how the show has changed and the culture has changed over the time they're here. I mean, like... Um, there are more, and I think Brian talked about too. There's more performers of color. There's more, way more hosts of color. There's more writers, and you can be like, well, the culture has changed, and as a result, the show's adapted. And I think this is hard, maybe hard for Keenan to admit, but Brian is a person who observed it. How do you feel Keenan deserves credit for changing this show? I mean, I, I think that you know, b- before uh, the black cast members on this show, maybe besides Eddie Murphy, were kind of cast members who just did black things and Keenan was one of the first cast member that just fully integrated himself and did everything and that opened the door I think to bring in you know uh, other cast members and uh, um, I also think that they brought in other cast members uh, so we could do a sketch like Black Jeopardy you know and and or do a sketch where there's a whole family you know and, and Keenan is at the center of it and because you know, Keenan is such a big part of SNL. Lorne would bring in people to uh, to to also, uh, you know, uh, ha- give him more possibilities of things that he could do here. And Keenan, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, if that's what it is, that's great. I mean, I feel the show is more woke because, yeah, everybody's waking up. It seems <laughs> like in these days and times, and like everybody's trying to be, you know able to be held, have their feet held to the fire like that. You know, it's not just, you know, more minorities necessarily. There's more women. There's more a lot of different things. So it's just, you know, everybody's wanting to, like, include everybody, which has been a goal of the show in the first place. But at the same time, the comment I made that got me in trouble that was misquoted in the first place is that you have to be ready to do the show. And if you don't go to those improv houses, you're not going to be immediately ready to do the show. You're going to have a hard time figuring it out. You know what I mean? And, like, Hopefully you'll be able to stay long enough to actually do it right. You know what I mean. But a lot of the time, you know, it's so there's so many things going on and there's so many things to learn. Like if you're just coming from a background that's not from even doing television in some sort of way, it's going to be crazy rough for you. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people figuring out that they do need to go the pathway of learning the show before the show type of stuff. And there's just more people to choose from now. I wrote a, a piece last spring about how you should be nominated for an Emmy. It was a very impassioned <laughs> piece. Yeah, I enjoyed that <laughs> very much. <laughs> um, and you did. And I, I took a very small 
amount of credit I for it. I appreciate <laughs> as you should. You should take it all, man. <laughs> Not at all. But I'll take some. But um, And then you, you won for the song. And you're here for a while. A lot of people who yeah. watch the show know that. And you're the sh- you are sort of the face of the show when uh, people slip up. Kevin right. talks about it. Yeah. How do, how does it feel that the the industry that is hypothetically watching the show more than ever to be like we need to make sure he's uh, celebrated? That's I mean it feels incredible. You know what I mean? Because when I started, like I started with like the most incredible cast that I had ever seen. You know what I mean? Like all together as far as like who's controlling comedy now. Like so, I started with. Jimmy and Tina and Horatio, Forte, Fred, you know, Amy, um, Maya and Rachel Dratch, and like me and Finesse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was like, it's like watching Alabama play almost. Like these guys could like be outside of this place running the entire pro league or whatever. And that's exactly what happened. Like everybody in that cast like graduated and they're like running shit. So. For me to be like the guy now or whatever, it's just it, it's incredible. It's like okay, well then when I leave here, like you know the world's an openness, my oyster, you know what I'm saying or whatever. But uh, at the same yeah. time, you know, we still have a Saturday to do and we still have a Saturday to try to make funny. So it's never like I can just relax on yeah. you know what I've done in the past. Like not even on Wednesdays when we're trying to introduce a new character, you have to introduce that new character no matter what, and. We earn our laughs here, you know? It's not like... I'm trying to put this in a way where I'm not downing other shows, but not just, it's, it's not like Grey's Anatomy, you know what I mean, <laughs> where you can kind of pick up wherever and yeah. still, like, you know, love it or leave it. Like, we have to earn our it's, responses. It's one of the few shows on TV, if I can think of any, that still, every now and then, something bombs. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, other TV shows, smartly, don't allow that to happen. <laughs> At this point, can you, either of you, can you imagine working here with the other one, without the other one? Not in a fun way. It would definitely it'll be a lot more burdensome and be just weirdly different. You know, we definitely came up together and helped each other on the way. And uh, the times I have the most fun, and I think you probably feel the same way, is just when we're kind of writing together. So. Yeah, especially with something that we're both excited about because we just laugh the entire time throughout yeah. it. And then we have to make sure, okay... Are we transferring what we're laughing about to right. the page? Right. <laughs> sometimes we are. Like, yeah. Sometimes we do, we're laughing to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so that sound means it's time for our final segment, which is called the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a laughing round. Love it. Do you guys have a favorite? Either you have a favorite joke joke, like a street joke? Sometimes because I'm in comedy, people will ask me at parties, and the one that I go to is this. Uh, and maybe you can figure it out. Uh, what's the difference between uh, Neil Armstrong and Michael Jackson? What? So Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon. Michael Jackson fucks little boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice one because it zigzags a little yes. bit. Uh, yeah, my dad told me this joke. Uh, You're going to start it up. Two Jews. Oh, hold on. Right. <laughs> Close. So Oprah Winfrey, Donald Trump, and Barack Obama and a little girl were on a plane. Well, the plane was having problems, and there were three parachutes on the plane. And Oprah said, well, I'm the richest woman in the world, so I'm getting one. And Oprah took the parachute and jumped out the plane. And Trump said, well, I'm the president, so I get one. And he jumped off the plane. And Obama looked at the little girl and said, my dear, you're the future, so you take the last parachute and save yourself. And the little girl looked at Obama and said, no, we both get one because Trump took my book bag. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, damn, that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Is there a sketch that either you wish you wrote or a sketch that you wish you were in that someone else was in that uh, you can kind of steal? Like it would never was that person was never in it. It's a new universe in which it stars Keenan and Brian Tucker wrote it. Any Kate McKinnon sketch. <laughs> yeah. Like she does such incredible work. It's incredible. The uh, the key and peel substitute teacher sketch yeah, is oh such a God. great sketch, yeah, yeah. and I know one. you would do that well because you're so great at yeah. messing up oh, names, yeah. you know. A Aaron. A Aaron. <laughs> yeah. uh, I swear, if one of y'all says some dumbass <laughs> name, yeah, <laughs> that's just almost like a perfect sketch. It's so funny. Totally. And, I know. mean, they from their first episode that, that I said, "Bitch," would they? Yep. Yeah, that was a great one. They're so great. they started off strong. Yeah. I imagine there's a, a million, but a, a sketch that never worked. You maybe gotten to dress, but it never on the air that you will always think is funny. But at this point, you can't convince Lauren to let you try it again. For a long time, it was action Active Jack. Oh, that's we right. Finally got it yeah, on. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. We had this sketch called Active Jack that got like a standing ovation and it wound yeah. up on the floor at the, Bru- at the Bruno Mars show. Yeah, uh, Kevin Hart ended up doing yeah. it, uh, but in the Bruno Mars show four years ago. We did it at Dress. People loved it. They went crazy. <laughs> and Lauren cut it for time, or it was cut for time. Yeah. And uh, we were like, why? What yeah. happened? And we waited Raffle. for, uh, we were hoping Bruno Mars would host again and try. And he did. And He didn't. Oh, no, no. He was musical guest, but he didn't want to do sketches. Gotcha. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, which is fine. Which I is fine. Yeah. yeah. So we gave, we gave it to Kevin Hart, and he did a good job with it. Totally. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah. But yeah. That was definitely... The one that got away for a long time. Yeah, the thing that I've done a few times is a. It's called an impression chain, which a you start by doing an impression of a person you do an impression of, saying the name of another person you do an impression of, and then you say you'd have do impression of that person saying the name of another person, and then you do that an amount of times. This is Al Sharpton, and I'm going to intro a list of characters that are going to introduce each other. Here we go. I'm Al Sharpton. I'm introducing Steve Harvey. And I'm Steve Harvey introducing Carol Mosley Braun, who's kind of just normal and happens to be a lady I played. <laughs> I didn't necessarily have a take, but that's all right. And I'm here to introduce Gwenza Jones. Gwenza Jones, man, he got the, the, the person that kind of like a living turtle. <laughs> but he leads me into Bill Cosby. They kind of have a similar kind of sound, but there's a difference. <laughs> We all know what that is. And then, of course, there's Todd Barkley, who's kind of down in a different register, but becomes like more of a specific thing. You know, I'm doing it and talking about donuts. And then, <laughs> Ving Rhames. <laughs> Did you ever try a double, <laughs> a double pork porterhouse sandwich with barbecue sauce as just a sandwich. <laughs> and then Ving Rames is introducing Dr. Cornell West. Yes, it's good to see everybody here, my brothers. And the thing that you have to get into your mind is that <laughs> the man is implementing <laughs> uh, different microchips into being able to trace your every location across the nation. Think about that. He's very similar to Michael Bishop. His name is Bishop Michael Curry, but I like to call him Michael Bishop because it makes me laugh. And he just wants the love. He wants everybody to know about love and reach out and touch each person that I'm talking to. Classic preacher style. I'll stop it there. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. The end. Awesome. That's it for another episode of Good One. Saturday Night Live airs Saturday Night Live on NBC. Follow Keenan Thompson on Twitter at official Keenan and Brian Tucker at B Tucker Time. Good One is produced by Mike Comite with production help from Jessamine Molly and research help from Matthew Silver. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them. What the heck? You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>